In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Did your, did your parents, or do your parents right now, have a favorite story of you from before you can remember? I'm not going to ask Lorraine. She's the only person who qualifies here, I think. They could tell an embarrassing story tonight. But do your parents have those stories they tell about you that you just don't remember at all when you were tiny? Do you have stories you tell about your children or grandchildren from before they can remember? You know the ones I mean. My mom has a, has a slew of them. You know, when Jeremiah was a baby, and then it would go on to say something embarrassing. And you know, sometimes they're funny or sweet, and sometimes you'll find they're scary. Probably half of the stories I've heard about little children involve midnight runs to the ER, something I think a lot of us have had to do at points, where they're sick and you don't know why, and what's going to happen, and Lord, please just let us get there. And in the end, everything is all right. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, we start our New Old Testament lesson this evening with God's people having been camped out in the mountain of God. They've been there for about a year now. They've stopped. They've been in one place. And here we are in Numbers. God is giving them just a bunch of different directions. Right before this, God has laid out the Nazarite vow. How someone can take a vow and live a holy life and what they need to do to do that. And after this blessing, God's going to tell the people to finish the tabernacle and by the end of that chapter, which is 89 verses long, at the end of that chapter, in verse 89, Moses will hear God speak from, the, under the, from above the Ark of the Covenant, above the mercy seat in the tabernacle. But sandwiched in between those directions, God tells Moses to have Aaron and the priests go to everyone and say, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put my name on the Israelites, and I will bless them. Now we not only get this blessing here, we read echoes of it in other places, in Leviticus, in Deuteronomy, in the Chronicles, and several times in the Psalms. God's blessings of peace is being placed on his people, but he's also placing his name on them. He says, call them by my name. He's making them his family to be his people, to be loved, and to be protected by him. God wants them to carry out his name into the whole world, everywhere they go. O Lord, our governor, how exalted is your name in all the world. Now David here is telling people that his ruler is the Lord. If you go back and you hear it in the King James, you may have heard something like, O Lord, our Lord, which sounds repetitive, but he's trying to say, God, you're our Lord, you're my governor, you're in charge of me, you have the rule of me. David understands that it's both his name and his position. The Lord is the one that's going to order his steps. He's going to tell him where to go. And his name will be exalted over all the earth because his name is already over all his people. David goes on to write, Out of the mouths of infants and children, your majesty is praised above the heavens. David's saying it's so obvious, so plain, that even children can affirm the wonders of his name. Jesus is going to quote this verse when the, the rulers of the temple come up to him on Palm Sunday and say, all right, disperse the crowd. Have them stop this Hosanna nonsense, Jesus. He's going to say, listen, doesn't it say, out of the mouths of babes and children, and they can't say anything? Because God's name is wonderful, and his glory does not need the rich or the powerful to find its fullness. It can be found in the very worship of children. 
David goes on to say, You set up a stronghold against your adversaries to quell the enemy and the avenger. David's reminding us that God protects us from our enemies, and even those enemies that we may have made ourselves, the avenger. David says, When I consider your heaven, the work of your fingers, the moon and your stars you've set in your courses. We know that God created the heavens and the earth, and that everything is put on its path by God. David is left in with one simple question, one that we still hear today. What is man that you should be mindful of him, the son of man that you should seek him out? And this question's an honest one, one that we still have questions about today. I've had numerous conversations over, over the years with people that don't believe God exists, or if God exists, why would he care about someone like me? He's the all-powerful God that created the universe, right? He set the worlds into motion. Why does he care about me? What sense does that make? But God's not human. He's not limited the way we are. We cannot always fully understand God, but we know what he said, that he loves us, that he blesses us, and he seals us with his name. And David's response, the refrain here is, O Lord, our governor, how exalted is your name in all the world. We come to our gospel this morning, to one of those very familiar passages. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. Right? The God, in, the, in our gospel, the shepherds have just heard the angels, right? Saying what? Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you great news of good joy for all the people. For to you in this, born this day in the city of David is a Savior, the Messiah, the Lord. He will be a sign for you. You'll find the child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in the manger. And the shepherds were terrified. They were terrified to meet an angel along their path in the evening. And I'm not sure if their anxiety increased or decreased when it went from being one angel to the whole heavenly host. But the shepherds, after hearing and seeing everything, go and find Jesus. It says, They went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. Now notice, they went quickly. And then they went out and started telling everyone what they'd seen. And apparently not just Mary and Joseph. They seemed to have told others. They spread the word of the coming of the Messiah. They went to tell people that Emmanuel, the wonderful counselor, the almighty God, the Prince of Peace, is now born into this world. And how does Mary respond? It says this, Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as had been told to them. But Mary treasured everything that she saw about her son. And I know mo most of us parents do, right? Remember the first smile, the first steps, the first time they said mama or papa, right? And we like to retell those tales. And I'm sure Mary keeps those in her heart. But Mary has this other track of memories as well. A track of memories that most of us don't have. The stories that her husband, her cousin, her cousin's husband, shepherds, magi, Anna, Simeon, Mary herself, are all interacting with the supernatural and affirming what she'd been told when it all started, that her son was the Christ, and that Christ the Savior had been born. And after eight days had passed, it was time to circumcise the child, and he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he conceived in the womb. Joseph and Mary obediently gave him the name Jesus, Jesus which means God saves. 
The angels have been reinforcing that truth. The Messiah is born into the world. And unlike when his cousin John the Baptist was named, there was no argument. No one tried to say, Jesus, that's not a good name. Why don't we name him Joseph? No, they just named him. With that simple act of faith and obedience, his parents gave him the name. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Paul in Philippians is now turning his attention to Jesus. In the first chapter, he tells the Philippians about his time in prison, prison and how much he appreciated them sending Epaphroditus. In the, rest of Epith in the rest of Philippians, he's going to warn them about not putting rules and regulations with the gospel, not adding circumcision and other things. But before this, he tells them to rejoice in the Lord always, to let gentleness be what you're known for, and to pray and not be anxious. But he starts by telling them to have the same mind that Christ did. This is what he said about Christ's mind. But he emptied himself taking the form of a slave and being born in human likeness and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus, the Son of God, God himself, the creator of heaven and earth, did not think it was beneath him to become human. He didn't come as the son of the emperor. He didn't come as a ruling earthly king. He didn't even come as an adult, descended from the heavens. No, he was born and became a servant. But he humbled himself further. He was obedient to die, and to die as a criminal. Paul says he was humble in doing those things. But the results of his obedience are this. Therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bend, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Like the shepherds, like David, like Paul, we're called to proclaim the holy name of Jesus in word and deed until he comes again. The great news inherent in Jesus' holy name is this, God saves. And it's a desperately needed word for our broken world today. May we, like the shepherds, pass on the good news in all its richness and all its simplicity to everyone God places in our path. Amen.